So welcome back to Highways to the Past, a podcast all about excavations along the proposed National Highway's A428 Black Cat to Caxon Gibber improvements. I'm Andy, one of the archaeologists at MOLA, and I'm joined by our producer, Catherine. Hello. And sadly, we've reached the end of our journey on this series of the podcast. And perhaps fittingly, today we're going to be talking about something that usually happens at the end of most archaeological projects, presenting the results of the excavations to the public. However, if you've been following our work on the A428, you'll know that here we've been doing things a little bit differently. We've been sharing discoveries as they're being made. For us, it's all about trying to bring you as close as possible to the action and to help you get a sense of what it's really like to work on one of these massive archaeological projects. In this episode, we'll be speaking to some of our colleagues who've been doing this work and finding out how they go from trial trench to tweet or from Iron Age roundhouse to virtual reality. So join us as we explore how to bring the ancient world to life here on Highways to the Past. So to tell us more about some of the visualizations that we've been doing on the A428, we're joined now uh, by one of our 3D artists, Gareth Hughes, and by our Director of Creativity, uh, Stu Eve. Hi, Gareth. Hi, Stu. Hi. Great. So first of all, just um, tell us a bit about what your role involves at MOLA. So maybe if we start with you, Gareth. Right. Uh, well, hello. My name's Gareth Hughes, and I'm one of the 3D artists currently working with the creative team on the A428 project. My primary roles are working with the data coming in from site as well as data that we have gone out to collect personally uh, and then converting that into 3D digital assets. Great, and, and Stu, how about yourself? So um, I've got this rather great title of Director of Creativity, which basically means I'm kind of um, <clears throat> oversee the sort of creative aspects or a lot of the creative aspects that we do at MOLA, that that kind of transpires as, you know, the illustrators, the photographers, um, and more increasingly now the, the sort of 3D artists. And, um, and as we go a bit more into the digital technologies, that's also includes, you know, developing virtual reality and augmented reality and that type of thing as well. So I have a kind of creative oversight of a lot of our outputs. And I think one of the things we've been doing so far in the A428 is a technique called photogrammetry. Um, and so maybe, um, Gareth, would you mind explaining to people who haven't come across this before, what, what photogrammetry is and how does it work? Ultimately, the aim of photogrammetry is to take uh, real world objects or locations and to be able to convert them into 3D digital representations. So. That'll be anything from 3D models to live action um, you know, video playback uh, of a manipulated 3D environment or an object. Uh, typically, this involves uh, taking large quantities of photographic data. Essentially, we are taking those still images and using the software applications available to us to align and then project from them, 
creating the geometry and the the mesh that will eventually from the same photos then be textured uh true to life great and um Stu, how are we using photogrammetry um on the a428 so we've been using photogrammetry quite a bit in lots of different in lots of different ways so you know, for a start we it's it's a very good way of recording a site as we excavate it it's not just for um public engagement so for instance if we've just excavated a trench or a feature then we can do some photogrammetry of it and create a you know a 3d model of that um of that particular feature which we can then use later for doing some interesting public engagement but we can also put it in the archive to um so that we can go back to it and we can measure off it or we can draw things off it as well so it's a it's a really good record from that sense um but it in terms of the public engagement and everything we are we're taking the photogrammetry of various artifacts which we found so that might be pieces of pottery or or um, brooches and that type of thing uh the other thing is that we've gone down to um Butzer ancient farm and we've taken a big photogrammetric model of of two or three of the roundhouses the the reconstructed roundhouses there um and we've used those as a basis for some of our other for our other reconstructions um Great, and Gareth, I know you've been working on this um, 3D model of uh, the Iron Age roundhouse at Butzer, um, obviously based on some of these roundhouses that we've been finding on the A428. So these are going to end up in some formats in kind of virtual reality headsets and you kind of used in virtual reality. So for, for some of the audience listening who don't know what virtual reality is or maybe don't are not clear on what it is, could you just explain a bit more what that technology is and how that works? So VR is again similarly to photogrammetry it's a, a new technology typically the the vr experience in its uh, fullness that uh, some people may be familiar with would be the idea of being projected into a virtual environment through the use of headsets and typically you will have controllers assigned to either hand and you will be able to interact with these spaces uh, as if you are there essentially. Cool and um, I, I know that I've been seeing various bits of VR um, kind of kit around the place um, and kind of lurking in the office and we've, which we've been using on the A428. Um, Stu how, how have we been using the, the kind of VR technology as part of our, our project here? So what we've what we've been doing it in a number of different ways actually, and and sort of building from what Gareth was saying there, <clears throat> the the sort of mixed reality is a kind of scale. So it goes from real reality, which is the world we're in, um, the real reality that we all live in, and then virtual reality, which is basically you being put into a completely created world, and then in the middle of that, there's sort of mixed reality, sometimes called or mediated reality or augmented reality. There's lots of different names, but essentially that's sort of melding the digital world with the physical world. So we've got a few different headsets. One of the main ones we're using is the um, one of the higher end um, consumer headsets. That can give you completely full virtual reality. So if we imagine our roundhouse that we've reconstructed, um, we could put on our headset and basically be right inside it, looking around, looking around the whole reconstruction, walking about, 
or teleporting about, as Gareth says, depends on what we want to do. So everything that we're seeing there, we've created basically in the computer. But those headsets also have something called pass-through mode, where they have cameras on the front. So you can look through the cameras and see the real world, but then bring in digital artifacts into that real world. So this is something that we've been experimenting with quite a lot, where we would effectively be able to have people standing in front of a real table, but bring in our digital artifacts and basically make it look like they're sitting on the, the artifacts are laying on the real table, and then people can pick them up and move them about, make them bigger and smaller. So it's sort of think of it like a um, like a traditional fines handling session, except the fines you've got are digital fines instead of real fines, which means you can make them bigger and smaller and, and all of that type of thing. So so we're sort of blurring all of these realities together, but using the same 3D models that we're creating for each one, just viewing them in a slightly different reality. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I was having a bit of a, a play around with this kind of a couple of weeks ago, um, I think with a, a horse bone from the A428, which was kind of blowing up to the size of a room and then shrinking back down again. So that was that was quite fun to play with that. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting this because, of course, because you can play with the scale, it means you can look at really small things, um, you know, chicken bones or small brooches or something and pull them up really, really big so that you can really see the details and in some ways that you can't do that in, in the real in real reality. But it also means we can do photogrammetry scans of very delicate objects or objects that need conservation that you don't want people to pick up and handle because they might damage them or they've gone off to study them or something like that. So we can have a look at finds um, in a very different way. It it's really sort of opens up that, those possibilities of exploring things in new ways. I guess that leads me on to the kind of question of like, well, what other technologies do you think we should be embracing or using more frequently in archaeology? I think one of the one of the big things here, and I think this is what's really exciting about the way technology is developing at the moment, is that we have this possibility to combine the real world and the virtual world. And it's very easy, especially since COVID, for everyone to just stare at a screen and, and kind of consume everything digitally. Whereas on the flip side, archaeology is by its very nature, completely practical, tactile. You're digging this stuff out of the ground. It's dirty, it's muddy, it's wet, it's cold, it's smelly, all of that kind of stuff. And, and I think the the technology that we should be moving along with is much more sort of multi-sensory rather than just consuming everything with our eyes through a screen. I think we really need to use these technologies to, to be able to virtually feel things or virtually smell things or smell things in real life but the smell is produced by a computer or whatever at the right time just so that we can really understand what these artifacts and what these sites were actually like to um to experience and not just look at photos of them and and that kind of thing yeah i, I think really i'm just something that i've sort of developed and hopefully i'm bringing over from the uh you know, my time at university and doing game design is more of the accessibility side of things. So um, a major part for me is just making sure that this is all functional on as much um, sort of hardware that regular people have access to. So we can really bring as many people into these experiences as possible. 
So what what are some of the we touched a bit about accessibility and making sure that everyone has access to the to emergent technologies. What are some of the other challenges we need to be aware of when we when we're working specifically with these emerging technologies in archaeology? There's, a, there's things about the, the data capture, which is important. So we need to make sure that we can democratize data capture. So you don't have to have a specialist coming along every time you want to do photogrammetric recording or, or that kind of thing. Um, I think that's really important. Democratizing that, allowing everybody to be able to do that will will make a, a big difference. But it is a challenge because you do need some sort of equipment, even if that's you know a smartphone, which most people do have, but you need to have the right software and you need to make sure that you that you um, complete the capture in the right way. So that's a, that's definitely a bit of a challenge. And then I think also on a on a um, more sort of philosophical point, it's and this goes through any kind of reconstruction, whether it's digital reconstruction or whether it's someone drawing one of those amazing watercolors that, that we've also been doing as well for the four to eight is you end up with a final product and that's great. And we know that that final product is created from lots of different people talking to each other and kind of understanding how the archaeology works. And we've spoken to the specialists about what kind of environment was around and everything. But if you just simply present that final product as the as the sort of the real truth, as it were, you lose a lot of the fact that there's a huge interpretive process that's gone into creating those things and reconstructing that site. And for us as archaeologists, the actual act of reconstruction is is really important because you have to ask all of the questions as you go along. So how did this roof hold up? I don't know. Let's have a think. Let's play around. Does it work like this? Does it work like this? And as you're building, as we're building those reconstructions or doing the reconstruction drawings, you have to ask yourself all of those questions and everything in there has to kind of be justified by the archaeological evidence that's available. So while it might look like this beautiful kind of thing that we've created, it's it's the result of a huge amount of research and and we need to be able to find ways to communicate that interpretation and the reasons for what we've done um, to the public, because otherwise you're just saying, you know, you're effectively creating a computer game. So we, we've also been using some quite innovative techniques of engaging the public through um, virtual reality um, on the A428. And one of these is this um, kind of virtual storytelling in a, in a roundhouse. So maybe Gareth, you could talk to a, a bit about how, how that's been developed. Yes. Uh, one, one of the projects we've been working on is this uh, virtual learning environment, uh, which is a 3D reconstruction uh, of the, the roundhouses that both me and Stu went to uh, visit at Butts uh, ancient, ancient Farm. The, the scope of this one has altered since the beginning. Uh, again, this kind of goes back to the accessibility uh, aspects to what I was mentioning. Uh, and one of the major concerns was being able to run this kind of experience for anyone who might need access to it. Now, that, that could be someone who is incredibly tech savvy and completely up to date to someone who simply has a personal computer for browsing the internet. For initial testing, we have gone down the path of completely uh, modeling from scratch the the structure both inside and out. Uh, and the the aim of this is to really 
taken out to the to schools and to bring children in break it down to a point of accessibility that really anyone could understand regardless of their knowledge on the subject uh, at the point of starting the best the best thing about it is that it's because it's as Gareth was saying because it's just accessible through a through a web browser and effectively imagine it, it's it's sort of like um it's sort of like a, a zoom call but you're having a zoom call inside a 3d space so so you can teachers can take can take their pupils in and everyone can can be kind of be in this zoom call and then uh, and then you can walk around the the roundhouse and everyone's controlling it a bit like uh, a bit like a computer game you know the normal kind of use your mouse to look around and then move backwards and forwards with your with your keyboard um but then we've also got 3d scanned artifacts in there as well which people can kind of pick up and, and look around so it's a, it's a really it's a really interesting experiment and um so far it's been going really well we, we haven't got we haven't rolled it out to everywhere yet but that certainly the testing is has been really positive so um so we're looking forward to kind of exploring that a bit more so the, the final question that we're asking everyone on the highways of the past podcast is what's the best thing about being an archaeologist um so maybe we'll start with you gareth on this one well uh first i'm gonna have to bring in a disclaimer i <laughs> Archaeology was not my uh, my primary uh, form of study. So I originally, I think I mentioned earlier on that originally I was a, a game uh, design student, and currently I'm a, a 3D artist uh, working for Mulwa. Uh, certainly, archaeology has been an interest to me uh, since a young age. So absolutely, this is a, a, a very very exciting uh, career. <laughs> I think for me, really, it's to do with having the connection with people of the past in a in a very kind of visceral way that you can't get from just reading books and that kind of thing. And I think it's that sort of tactile connection across the across the ages. I mean, it sounds very pretentious, but really it is it is like that picking up a piece of pottery or picking up an artifact or or even just, you know, looking at a hole that someone once dug all those all those years ago and i think it's just getting that connection across across time to the way ordinary people lived and you realize that actually they were pretty much doing exactly the same stuff as we do sticking the rubbish in big holes in the ground you know eating bad food cooked badly or cooked incredibly well you know all of this kind of stuff it, i think that's really great and i think it's really humbling actually that we think that we've got all of this amazing digital technology and we're so advanced but but really, you know, we're all just doing the same stuff. We're all just building houses, we're all just eating food and we're all just kind of hanging out. And I think for me, that's what archaeology is about, is about, you know, finding the human really. So it's been great to speak to Stu and Gareth and hear about more of the work they're doing on virtual reality and bringing the past to life through these kind of forms of computer generated models. Um, but now we're on to something more practical and Catherine's going to go and speak to some of our colleagues who have been working out um, on the field on the A428 and providing uh, kind of live updates via our social media channels.
Yeah, that's right. Um, I've been working with a few of our archaeologists, both in the site and in the lab, uh, on our digital engagement assistant program, getting them to uh, write social media posts directly from where they're working so we can get updates as soon as possible directly from the trench. photos and showing everyday life so the rest of the other four days of the week you're working away on site digging through trenches and stuff of course yeah 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 um and that's the the, the funny thing i can like um enjoy both roles <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, try to um, be always update about everything is going on in, on site and uh, take part in it Hi, I'm Maddie. Um, so I uh, was a field archaeologist uh, till very, very recently uh, on the A forty eight and other Merlin sites. But now um, I'm working in our processing lab. Um, uh, yeah, which is where we yeah take um, all the stuff that comes off site, um, all the finds and the samples, and we wash them and clean them and record them and catalogue them. Um, yeah, and uh, make them. <laughs> Great. So obviously you're the ones working day to day on the A428. What's it like being working on this project just day to day? Working on a big infrastructure project is like everything sort of on a different scale. Um, I think particularly the cool thing about the A428, both in the field and in processing, is you get this sort of uh, continuity between or, or contrast between different sites you get to think mm. like oh these are all in the similar area like similar times and peoples but they're like you know agricultural roman uh iron age roman transition agriculturalists um and you know but like you know what is what things are the same and what things are different and even from our roles when we're not necessarily like at the reporting level you're not going into the nitty-gritty of like all of the details you can still get a sense of those like changes and continuities a little bit from yes that that's kind of cool mm. um so obviously you're both kind of archaeologists generally by trade so what made you interested in doing this extra bit um this da stuff communication is very important in our job because we work to uh, bring to light stories uh, from the past and uh, we are keen that 
people uh, know these stories. Um, a big mistake in archaeology sometimes could be uh, like just communicate with experts for research in a very technical uh, language. Uh, the things that I really like of my role uh, as a digital engagement assistant is like um, communicate with uh, with the um, accessible language to everyone, mm -hmm. so everyone can be can feel involved in what's going on. And mm -hmm. um, plus, I think this is also funny because people um, basically love um, you know know stories, and this is a kind of a, a gossiping about <laughs> ancient <laughs> ancestors, so yeah, I think it's really exciting. Yeah. You know what, I never really thought about it that way, but it is like a micro version of like yeah. the whole archaeological industry is in like taking the, the past and trying to tell those stories and, and share that with people, except that often they, we don't quite get the full, like not everyone gets to hear the stories, so it's quite cool in our role that we get to share that with more people um. and so what are some of the favorite things that you've posted um should we go with maddie first <laughs> yeah well i mean I t yeah one of my favorite photos is of this um a really close-up of this flint tool with a serrated um edge on the blade um and uh had a lot of fun trying to get really close up on on that in the really detail and like um trying to find as I've done with all of my posts, I think, trying to find ways of um, showing these objects that aren't sort of the traditional um, archaeological photograph, you know, mm. with the scale bar and like the straight on. Because whilst those are really useful as tools for recording and um, in sort of sharing and making a record of those objects, um, like this role is it's not necessarily that kind of way of recording things. It's about engaging with the objects in a slightly different way and um, yeah, trying to draw out those stories. Um, so yeah, I've really enjoyed like those kind of posts where I've got to um, think differently about how to record mm. those objects. For me, so my favorite post is um, uh, basically when I made the video of the discovery of uh, a Samian plate. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, I love pottery in general, so that's why <laughs> probably it's my favorite. But the thing that I really like of it was not how pretty was the ball but actually the thing that um, I managed to um, record the video uh, of the precise moment mm. in which the archaeologist was discovering the, the plate and the moment uh, where it was like taking it out from the dirt Mm. Uh, this is nice uh, for me because normally people is used to see uh, finds in uh, like museums very like nice and clean and shiny and they don't actually know um, how they look like when mm. we firstly see them so uh, yeah I was excited to show that magic moment <laughs> to the people um, yeah, yeah that's I think this one of the most thrilling moments, just the discovery. Yeah, mm. I think we've touched on this a bit already, but how do you think uh, these posts help people who don't, you know, their only experience of archaeology might be time team or something like that. How do you think this um, helps people understand more about what it's like working in commercial archaeology? Um, 
I mean, I think that people actually don't really know what actually is a commercial archaeology. They probably think things about like Indiana Jones or I don't know <laughs> museums or yeah. They are very far from the reality, yes. so I think that um, communicating uh, the real life on site uh, could be a good way to um, communicate how we record the, the past, uh, which kind of question we usually ask to the finds and to the stratigraphy, because we have a method. So we can try to share this method to um, make people aware of our life on site. Mm. Yeah. What, what sort of things do you hope that other people who hopefully also um, start documenting archaeology in this way um, learn from what we've been doing? I suppose that, it, yeah. that it's possible, like that it, mm. is, it is doable um, and, like, and it does get the engagement, like people are interested. Um, I think it can be, I know, like, again, we're an industry, we have deadlines and budgets and all that, that kind of thing, and so it can be easy to sort of, like, just get your head down, dig the hole, get out. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, there's a lot of value in sharing this with the wider community and, and getting that, um, you know, when we've had posts which are sort of a bit of a mystery, getting other people's opinions, you know. Um, we, as much as we're professionals and we have specialists who have done lots of training we don't have all the answers and um, yeah. there's lots of value about uh, yeah getting the wider community involved and um, sharing that so, yeah yeah I think it's um, it's all about getting people involved because if you know something if you feel part of something you are about to protect it so mm. I think this could be one of the impact hopefully of this communication and so now um our final question is something that we're asking everyone on this podcast what's the best thing about being an archaeologist um Valeria, do you want to start yeah so um it's a really tough question <laughs> no, i mean the best thing ever is uh like touching literally the past mm. that's the thing that i always loved about my job and um, I think it's very like emotional. I still remember the first time in my first excavation when I found a tiny pot in a fireplace covered in ash. And I straight away, I imagined like the moment when that happened. Mm. Uh, it was very like tender, I don't know. There's something very nice to, to feel. So yeah, I think that's the great thing about being archaeology and of course the environment because you are in the open air, hopefully with the nice weather, <laughs> with a lot of people. So yeah, I think this is really nice to share with the colleagues as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I kind of have the, <laughs> the same as, um, it's sort of, I'd say like the personal connection, but on like two levels. The personal connections you get with people from the past so like I really like those sort of really tangible moments where you know there's like you can see the person um like uh like funny fingerprint on a piece of pottery like that's always really cool it's like oh like that's an actual person or um yeah like uh uh 
one of my colleagues in the lab that talks about the archaeology of boredom and sometimes we find evidences of those moments where someone's just you know made something because or like doodled or like just you know made sort of scratches on on a piece of rock you know and, and that sort of thing that we all do every day you know you're like you're on the phone and you're just doodling on a piece of paper like it's those kind of moments and those links where you can be like oh yeah that's something that i do that's something that humans have done for a very long time mm. um and then the, the other great bit is the personal connections you make with the people that you're working with um you get yeah, you get it's an amazing team um out in the field and in the lab for me So that's it for this series of Highways to the Past. We hope you've enjoyed listening. And if you're still looking for more archaeology content, don't despair. You can find loads of blogs, videos and interactive activities on our dedicated online A428 portal. Just visit us at www.mola.org.uk forward slash A428. We hope to be able to share more discoveries with you soon. But in the meantime, I've been Andy. I'm Catherine. And you've been joining the journey on Highways to the Past. Archaeological excavations on A428 are part of the proposed Black Cat to Caxton Gibbet improvements. This 10-mile project aims to improve journeys between Milton Keynes and Cambridge, bringing communities together and supporting long-term growth in the region. You can follow the journey at nationalhighways.co.uk slash A428, on Facebook at A428 Black Cat, or on Twitter at A428 Cat. Highways to the Past is created by Mola and features cover artwork designed by Tracy Wellman.